welcome to another installment of the Evolution Exchange podcast. We've got another exciting topic today, which is around creating a healthy culture in a gaming studio. And I'm joined by Matt, who's a creative director at Ubisoft Reflections, Sam, who's an art producer at Rebellion, and Björn, who's a craft manager at Star Stable. As usual, each guest is going to ask some questions and we'll go around the room discussing them. But first of all, let's kick off with some introductions. So, Matt, please can you start us off with your introduction? Sure, man. Thank you. Uh, yeah, my name is Matt Turner. Um, been in the games business uh, for about 15 years. Like you said, I'm at uh, Ubisoft Reflections right now, uh, creative director on the Ever So Secret uh, project, uh, as, they, as it is in this business. Um, I've been around the block a little bit. I've been at EA. Um, I've worked in Montreal and Vancouver, and obviously now in in the UK on a, on a bunch of different properties, ranging from like shooters to FIFA. You can see behind me here for those that are looking, um, and uh, kind of everything in between. Um, but the the topic of of culture in the studio is uh, is really really important to me as as a as a team lead, and just making sure that people are in a place that they feel like they can are, are being pushed the way they need to be pushed. Um, as well as uh, support as maybe they we the way they need to be supported. So um, yeah, that's me. Perfect. Thank you, Matt. Uh, Björn, let's come to you. Yeah, I'm Björn. Uh, I'm a, a craft manager at Star Stable Entertainment and uh, working on uh, the eminent Star Stable Online MMO. Uh, my primary group of people that I take care of are the animators, the tech animators, the tech artists, and outsourcing. And uh, yeah, I, I joined the gaming industry just last year uh, and uh, previous year I've been doing 17 years of visual effects work. Mm. Uh, recently doing Star Wars, uh, a lot of work on, on the Star Wars fran- franchise, a studio called Important Looking Pirates in Stockholm. Uh, about seven years I was uh, head of the department there. So that's, that's my Fantastic. story. Thank you very much. And lastly, Sam. Hi, uh, my name's Sam. Um, I have been working in the game industry for about nine years now. Uh, I started off uh, at Rockstar Games, working on GTA Online, um, and uh, moved to Rebellion uh, about five years ago now, uh, mostly known for you know Sniper Elite franchises, Zombie Army, um, and often the often loved and mentioned uh, AVP games for back in the PlayStation days. Um, I yeah, started in QA uh, and have worked my way into production as, as many people have before me, but my expertise has always really been about teams and building teams. So I'm now working as an art producer uh, and overseeing uh, the the work and teams uh, from everything to do with art at Rebellion. So that's everything from environment art, animation, VFX, UI and more. Um, our, our team is quite wide ranging and uh, yeah, I'm, I'm, I've always been interested in building teams and building, building them the right way. My my focus is always people first, so people is culture. So it's a hugely important thing for me. Fantastic. Thank you, uh, Sam, and thank you, everybody else. Hi, everyone. This is Chris Bennett here, the Nordics Managing Director here at Evolution. I really hope you're enjoying the podcast so far. We're committed to doing recruitment in a different way that adds value to both our clients and candidates by providing you with amazing speakers and leading edge discussions on what's going on in the tech scene at the moment. There are three reasons why you should contact me. If you would like to speak on a future podcast, if you are interested in hiring awesome tech data product or gaming freelancers for your business, or if you are looking for an exciting new organization to work with, please get in touch. Thank you so much for listening and I really hope to hear from you soon. 
please enjoy the rest of the podcast. Now, let's go into it then. We'll start with some questions because uh, it's a really exciting subject and there'll be loads to talk about. So, Matt, you're going to start us off with the first question of the day. So, over to you. Sure, yeah. So, um, we all know that our industry is struggled with like toxic work environments and just general over 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 time and all those kinds of things and we've learned albeit a bit slowly that um, protecting and nurturing our talent is is really critical to the success of not only the projects but our studios but knowing that like how do you create a space that inspires and cultivates an ambition and passion um but also at the same time having a healthy work-life balance because those two things don't always mix and they're both equally important and there's no easy answer to it. So I'm really curious to hear um, the thoughts of the other people on the panel on it. So uh, there's, I have sort of two approaches to this, I suppose. There's a top-down approach and a, and a bottom-down approach, which for me both have to work together. Um, so the top-down one is is fairly obvious, right? If if the, the correct messages come from the top downwards, um, it obviously reinforces people and how they should work. So your, at the very top of your company, it's mostly about inspiring passion and creativity and encouraging people um, to explore. So, you know, basic things for creatives is you have to make sure that um, there is proper time planned out for, you know, concepting and for work iteration and things like that and making sure that people have time to sit and explore their ideas we we can't tie them into deadlines too sharp because it's as important as they are there has to be space in there and there has to be encouragement from your art directors and you know from even from the heads of your company that this is an exploratory process where we're going to sit down and we're going to work together to find what's fun and find what looks great um but for the other side of that there is a bottom-up approach which is from when you bring people into your company you have to establish from day one, hey, this is this is the way we do things here. So when we train people, we make sure that we make it very clear that as a company, we are ultra respectful of people's lives and their work-life balance. We have core hours, we have rules about you know medical appointments and things like that. But if there's something that they need to do as a human being, they need to go and look after their kids. They need to go to a medical appointment. You know, life happens, and it, it needs to be made certain from day one even through the training processes and onboarding processes that we're here to look after you as human beings first so then the idea is is you take care of them as people and then you put them into an environment where we're constantly reinforcing the idea of we want your ideas we want you to be creative we want to give you time to be creative those two things together should hopefully forge an environment where they feel looked after they feel sensible and they feel like they can do what's right for them but also that they have a space to then use that to you know give back to the company and be creative really good points uh Bjorn, do you want to come in on that yeah yeah, yeah. no uh, for sure like i think i think our uh, the approach at star stable is is very similar like we we have a people first attitude as well and and it really shows in in both and i think this is a, a thing that comes not only from from policies and like <clears throat> talking about it in the interviews and stuff it really has to be shown from the leadership. And I think there our our CEO and like the management team has been great at leading by example. And like, I need to go and do this. I need to take care of my kids. And like just hearing that from from sort of the executive level really 
hammers home the point that this is the the way we work here and this is the way we we live our words and not just you know it's not just a value on a paper it is actually true and i i really think that even though sweden it's itself it's kind of generally known to be a little bit more people first than maybe some other places uh i think having that uh culture in the in in the studio really helps and i yeah in, in, uh, sweden, I tri- in sweden they have you like you mandate july is off like you have to go on vacation during the summer right no well we mandate four weeks of continuous yeah yeah vacation. yeah yeah which is four that's, weeks that's very which are right like you have to go out and enjoy life you have no choice <laughs> you have no choice and you have to take those four weeks between june and august which generally happens to be in july so nothing really happens in july in sweden it's funny actually we 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 end up with a similar thing but more by accident but it ends up at christmas for us there's always a period of like look christmas is about your families and it tends to be sort of you know three for three weeks in december like not much happens because everybody is just like kids are off school don't be with your families (laughs) similar sort of thing just accidentally culturally it's just become an accepted thing and you do get people who come into the company and and who expect to work across christmas and they're kind of shocked by the fact of like no and go go be with your family do stuff and people are like but i don't have anything to do I'm like that that's fine you're, you're still going to be on holiday though half you go matt yeah. since since it was your question matt um just come back to you what were your thoughts on it obviously a little bit of context from uh how how you can what you said was inspire and cultivate uh ambition and and protect people as well yeah it's a it's a really interesting one because well what i'm hearing from from both you guys which i think which i agree with is it's it's about transparency and and putting it in the hands of, of people to to have that freedom and if and if they are if they feel protected and they feel inspired they will put in the extra time when they need to and they'll take the holiday when they need to and that's that's what like an adult's capable of doing and I, I, I think it's taken a long time for us to get to this as an industry where we actually have that trust in 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 our you know in our teams. Like I, I was in this in two thousand and seven eight when like the six o'clock watch walk of shame was a real thing. Like if you if I stood up and left on a Tuesday at six, everyone was going, "Where are you going?" And you're like, "I'm going to eat supper." And it's like, oh really? Like you should, you're supposed to be here till nine. And like, and that was so unhealthy and, and in such a, in such a strange culture where we, we were treated like, it's almost like you're in a, that you're being watched. Right. And it, and you can't trust you to do things on your own. So it's interesting to hear that you know, a, the solution lies in respect, right. And allowing people to see that their leaders are doing these same things and that they'll be able to manage themselves if they're given that, that space. It's, um, there's the other side of that coin, of course, which is some, some people can't, <laughs> And so it's it, when that happens, you have to have the tools in place to be able to manage that as well. So it's it's, it's not a one size fits all thing. But I do like I do like the idea that it starts from just a a place of of understanding and trust. Bjorn's hand up. Yeah, I, I think it's it comes from both the the safety, the psychological safety to know that yeah, if you leave at four o'clock, uh, no one's going to judge you. And I think also the pandemic changed a bit of that because of hybrid has allowed for more sort of varied ways of living and, and sort of the priorities can shift a bit with 
with the families and stuff and you but you can still get the work done and if we trust that work will be, get done people want to do their best that's that's generally what it boils down to and I, the work of shame i mean I, I was in the vfx industry for many years and it was the same there like it's if you left at you know six o'clock you were kind of not even trying <laughs> and and that is so unhealthy and it's so bad and I don't know, like it, it took many years to shift that, that sentiment around and, and instead like, oh, but we're doing great. Like I'm, I'm doing a fantastic job, but I'm, I do have a family. I, I need to get back to them. We, even if you don't have a family, like you might do like sports or, uh, personal hobbies or whatever, like we shouldn't really care. It, it was a point there where it's like the only ones who were allowed to leave at six were the ones with family. But I really think that's that has to change, and I think it, it is changing. People are more respectful. Yeah, you're having a life, right? Like I said, it's, it's like a family is a, is a lifestyle. If anyone else can put it on, I agree. Happy workers do good work, right? It's, for a lot of us now, it just comes down to that, like and having good work life finds makes them happy. I think where this a lot of where this stuff came from is working in the games industry, in particular, is is always been seen as a vocation. You make games because you love to make games. And I think for a long time, people took advantage of that. And I've seen people use that idea to, to justify treating staff badly, underpaying staff and stuff like that. It's like, oh, you know, you, you're not in this for the money. You're in it because you're making games. It's like, yeah, I am in it because I love making games. But that doesn't mean I don't deserve to be treated correctly or, or paid correctly, you know. And I think that's where a lot of it comes from. It, there was, you always was this attitude before of like, yeah, people who did this did it because they loved it. And so it was okay not okay anymore people's expectations people's standards have, have risen a lot and as we all said the pandemic accelerated that realization quite quickly for for many people my that you, that, that sense of oh sorry i just think that that set it was used like a bit of a, a bit of a insidious bargaining chip in the past which was like the prestige like oh yeah you're just going to be here so even the fact that you're here is worth so it was more than you you know money we can give you and you're like well <laughs> Is it? <laughs> and that, it has it has shifted for sure. Those those things still exist, obviously, in the, in the industry, and um, it's, that's for those companies to you know to want or not want. But it's a uh, it's it's really refreshing to finally see. I think you're right. The pandemic accelerated, but it accelerated other things too, which I think your questions are going to touch on, which I think we're, we're going to get into. Which I, I want to. Sorry, Andy, you were gonna. No, no, you're fine. I just Sam said something there. I said. Um happy people do good work and and you started the question off with like the str the industry struggled over time with toxic work environments and things like you know finishing at past six o'clock and stuff like that so it was just making me think what has that meant for obviously a better work-life balance and a better culture around you know being happier and things what has that meant for actual productivity do you think projects are taking longer because obviously people are having a more relaxed sort of lifestyle, but it's it's a better balance that they're having a happier life. Or do you think people are actually working better and more proactively because they have this freedom to to have a better work life balance? I think it's a bit of there's a bit of both. <laughs> I think it's a myth that you work effectively all the hours you put in. Uh, like if if you if you're staying until nine o'clock, like those last three hours. They're not gonna be that great, and like you, you're gonna have some like dinner and yeah. I, I mean, if, I, I've seen it so many times, like especially in in like highly uh, pressured like animators, for example, they rarely do 
decent animation beyond like their their normal working days. Uh, so what they do ends up needing to be reworked anyway. So whatever extra time they put in, like it's just worth nothing. And I've seen it so many times in the BFX industry as well. Like it's like it's the worst work and the work that that your colleagues end up redoing or throwing away that gets done, you know, between eight o'clock in the uh, in the evening and like one or two in the morning and everyone is pushing to get it done but it's like when when the render comes back it's black that that was a waste of time mm. so i don't think i don't think anyone is actually working faster it's just that we're doing less stupid things less wasted time yeah, yeah. efficiency is the word i would use so mm. People will go into an office and they might be in there till nine o'clock at night. But as Bjorn says, they're not necessarily using all of that time to work. Now, just because we're being more respectful and we're allowing people to work just their core hours and then that's it, doesn't mean that they're doing less work. Probably just means they're being a lot more efficient with their time and they're not spending three hours sat in an office, you know, having a coffee here and doing, you know, because I don't have to, you know, I don't have to take 20 minutes to get away from my screen and, and go to a cafe, coffee. I could literally just grab a coffee somewhere and, and keep working and, we actually tend to find that most of the time if people are sat in their house, they actually will take less breaks. And I've had to tell, encourage people, no, why aren't you taking breaks? You, you know, they, they work more, they work harder. And we've saw people, especially at the start of the pandemic, working late into the night because work was just there so they could do it. So people will actually work more and work more efficiently, uh, even though they're working less hours overall. So you get a similar level of effort out. There is slowdown, but there, there are other reasons for that. It's not a personal work thing. Mm-hmm. I could say too that um, it does happen that we we work in a deadline industry, right? A project project based, and so, and in a given project there'll be multiple of those, and there's just there just is a reality that sometimes as you get closer to those things, things break, things happen, and you don't have a choice but to work until nine, ten, eleven midnight because it has to be in tomorrow, and this thing happens, so we have to we have to go at it. And I think that's just something we have to accept that does happen, but it's, it's the, it's, it, it was, that's different to then the six o'clock walk of shame being all the time. It's like 12 months a year. This is a thing that exists. That's terrible. If once every two years you have like a two, two week period where it's that you're, you're closing this thing out and then things can get intense. I think that's the part where if you've got the rest of the culture that works behind you, you, you will accept that as, yeah, we're going to do it now because we have to. We're going to put the pedal in the metal and get, get up the door because that's the way our industry works. I think there is that balance there. And it's not to say that it's it's like awesome to do those things. But I will say some of my fondest memories in the games business have been like waiting for a bill to cook at 2 a.m. with like the TD and like sitting there and having those warm stories. And like at the time... It was not maybe the, where I wanted to be, but in those when I look back on them, I go, "That was the moment where we like we we fixed it or we figured it out or like I I met somebody and I had a connection with them." I think it dials back into like we're going to talk about like the hybrid work, work model and how that touched all this because I think it's it's all pretty interconnected. Um, but yeah, it, it's it's interesting. We, I saw the same thing in um, early on in the pandemic. We were saying Sean and Sam was like we kind of wanted to make it work. We had to, we had no choice. There was a hard stop. In Canada, it was March 14th. It was like, no choice, everyone's at home. And all the businesses were like, okay, those who can go online, do it. And the games business happened to be a position that we could go pretty pretty seamlessly into that kind of model. And so we just kind of made it work really quickly. And I think people forgot how miserable those first two months were. 
<laughs> like they were really not fun. Like it was, it was, everyone was stressed out. And what was going on? And it was like, I was working like crazy because we didn't know what was going to happen. So we just had to try and get it all done. Um, and then we kind of like adapted to it and got used to it. And I think there's some people work really well in that environment. Other people need that push. The other people need to be around others to get that like energy, to get those thoughts, to get that kind of sense of like community to have to be their best. So I don't think it's I don't think it's so cut and dry. Um, it's a it's a bit of a it's it's, it's an interesting one. But there's there's no hard on. Right? There's a hard off. We had the slow ramp back. We don't really know what the road lies ahead is. Um, I think we're well over time in my question though, so I'm gonna. No, no, it's fine. Go on, Fiona. I'll let you. Uh, I'll let you come in last point, and then we will move it on. Um, yeah. No. No. But yes. Yeah. Sorry. Uh, I I'll just add that, like in in um, in respect to the having some sort of not a crunch maybe but like some sort of intenser parts of, of finishing up before a deadline or so i think that a lot of people uh as you said like they live for those moments it's like it is you feel like like you're actually making progress like you're getting stuff done you're uh, communicating like at the best with the team so and I really, because I think when you remove all time restrictions and everything is chill all the time, you never get that. Like you never get that sort of push or like that rush. Uh, so I'm a little bit, yeah, it's a bit uh, two-sided that side <laughs> thing. Uh, because I, I really think like if you give people time and, and the opportunity, they will do good work. But sometimes that leads to these kind of so crisis or like, heated situations where you they really need to focus and get stuff done and you like you need these kinds of deadlines and stuff everything tends to go very long if they if you remove all sort of deadlines or indications of like oh milestone progress so that's just my thing so I, I really really think that most people enjoy a bit of it but not when it ruins like their lives for mm -hmm. three months. To bring it back to sort of cultural stuff, because that's what it's about. So the way I look at it is you as a company have a responsibility to earn that effort from your employees. Yes, things go wrong. Yes, sometimes you are going to have to stay late to try and sort something out because, you know, something has gone horribly wrong. But your responsibility as a company is to make sure that people feel like they you know that they've you know you've done enough for them you've looked after them you've done right by them so when things go wrong for the company they're willing to go like, don't you know what this company takes care of me i'm going to put my extra effort now to take care of the company you have to earn that from your staff no it's a really really good points and matt it's a great question um so thank you very much great way to, to start the podcast but yeah we, we will move it on um course of time so we'll move it on to the second question which will come back to bjorn actually so bjorn Please, can you give us your question? Yeah, my question is, uh, yeah, given the rise of hybrid and fully remote working, uh, some team members tend to withdraw and distance themselves from, from the teams a bit. Uh, and what are the things you do to encourage team members to participate in culture-building activities and, and just social activities in general with the team? Nice. Great question. Matt, go on. That's a super interesting one. I'm really happy you asked that question. I've been thinking a lot about it the last three, four, five, six months, whatever it is. Um, like on a team, you know, you're going to have all personalities and all types of different people who have different needs and social interaction and coming together as a group for those who are like predisposed to that 
they're going to seek it out. And, I, and, and, I'm, and I'm one of them. I'm, more, I'm a more extroverted person. So as soon as those opportunities arise, I'll go to them. And if they aren't being provided, I'll create them because I want to get there and get people around me. But I'm, that's, I'm one type of person. And there are lots of people, to your point, on our, on our team that, you know, when given the chance, they will literally move away from, from other people because that's the best they feel most comfortable. But it's, it's my opinion, though, as it dwells in the last few months, that they, they actually need them most because they will, because they'll withdraw, because that's their instinct, they need to be brought in and, and get that connection. They won't even know they're getting it sometimes, right? It, it doesn't even necessarily mean sitting down with somebody in a room or eating a meal with them or like having a full-out conversation or some social activity, literally sitting next to a super experienced lead for a day or two, that the time, the stuff you get just via osmosis, just from being around them, about how they approach problems and the things they say and the way they approach their work, that has such a profound impact. I know it did on me. And like, it's very difficult to to show that value to people who's, who are predisposed to to be a bit more, um, you know, solo and being on their own. And so that's the kind of thing that, that I'm trying to wrestle with right now, which is I don't know what the approach is because it's like the people who need it most won't take it if you don't make it mandatory. So how do you, how do you show that value? Which is a, I don't have an answer for it. I'm, and I'm hoping that we can get some ideas out of this one. <laughs> well, Sam, have you got any ideas? I mean, I don't think you're never going to be able to force an antisocial person to be social. Um, and nor should you. Um, so you have to find a balance of, you have to sort of, you know, take that traditional route of trying to sort of harness their self-interest. That's one way that you can do this. So, simply trying to show them the value of it so from a work point of view um if you can show somebody that there is you know value in spending time with this person in a in a work-based context rather than a social-based concept um then it, it shows them that you know it sort of they'll go oh yeah there's value to this interaction i'll go along with this i'll do this uh, and that will then organically create a social situation um, so you, you you sort of say to this person, hey, look, I think that I want you to work with this real experienced person on on this particular thing. And then the bit, the fourth bit of it is you make sure that it's, you know, that it's a face-to-face -face meeting or a Zoom meeting or something like that. So they're not just conversing via email or via text chat. So you, you can set up a situation which is valuable to the person, but make them have that, uh, you know, you have that situation in a way which will then add the value that you want. The other way that we've been starting to try and think about um, in the teams that, that I run is a little bit of uh, a little bit of sort of bashing our heads against the wall a little bit in terms of just creating as many opportunities as possible for social events and so on and so forth. So what you tend to find is you host a social event and you invite everybody and then like four people come and then everybody gets, you know, people who are extroverted and who want to do this stuff get a bit disappointed and a bit discouraged and they don't host another event. That happened a lot at the start of pandemic. They were like, you know, teams recognize, oh, we're all apart. We've got to have like Monday morning coffee mornings. We've got to have Friday quizzes and stuff like that. We've got to do stuff to keep the team together. But slowly over time, people stopped going to these and then they just stopped happening. That's a, that's a bad thing. You have to keep bashing your head against the wall a bit with these things and keep hosting events and keep giving people the opportunities to, you know, have things to go to. I've seen a lot of places just, give up on it because people stopped attending and so didn't see the value but there is you know there is still value in, in creating these constant opportunities and giving people the opportunity to you know, say okay do you know what i am going to go to one finally that, that, that's the issue though is is the value piece is like is, is how do you make like 
and I totally agree about the you know, you're force anti-social people to be social. It's like the example of like just sitting in between two people in desks, right, for an extended period of time doing your work is in the presence of other humans. And like you will get all kinds of interaction just from that. And that's not about like, you know, you're not forcing anyone to talk, but just saying be present. It's it's really hard to say you need to sit there and just be there because there, trust me, there's value in that. <laughs> and and, it, and, it, and it's like it's like before the pandemic it wasn't an option and then and that's and that's that's the hard part i think that i think a lot of people are struggling with is like it didn't used to be something that we had to ever even consider it was just you just went to work and you would always be in that situation and it was more of the opposite that we were talking about of like how do you get people to to get their own space you know not be at work too often and so it's a really different problem space that as social creatures human beings like like there's there's a certain amount of it that you know we need to try and protect, and it's 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 a hard it's a hard thing to to get everyone to understand when the option is always there to be like no you can just go home and be in your basement if you want, um, because that's something that like I said some people are just going to take because it's what they it's what they want to do even though it might not be the best thing for them um, all the time it's a it's a it's a really tricky one but it's uh I've seen a lot of a lot of it I. I during the pandemic, we had several people that were, we had major concerns about their mental health because they were totally alone and they were reaching out and they were just getting more and more isolated. Um, and we had to go over actively go and, you know, pursue that. Uh, and that it was a very difficult thing to see happen. I think it's, there's probably a lot more of that happening now than we realize, um, because there's options always there. Um, and then it isn't to say to mandate it. It's just, I don't think we should. Hybrid is a new reality, but you know, the solutions for it aren't simple. Bjorn, did you want to come in there? Yeah, <clears throat> yeah. I, I also had quite a few team members uh, showing really like they did not feel well during the, especially I would say the first uh, six to twelve months of the pandemic when we were like everyone was forced back to their homes quickly. Um, but since we didn't have a, like we didn't have a forced lockdown here, it was more like encouraged, like stay home if you can. Kind of thing. I actually like arranged so that a few of them could come into the office. So we had like a, we never fully closed the office where I was working at the time. Uh, we we actually had people in there, and they were there not because they were like technically unable to work from home, but because they were mentally unable to. They did not like they couldn't <clears throat> cope with the situation, and I think that was super helpful. And I I. I really dread what would have happened if they had been forced, like they were in in most places, like our colleagues in, in other countries, Germany and the, the UK and so on. Uh, so, yeah, I really think it's a like you said, it's a difficult thing. Like you can't really force people to be in the office. At least we can't. We 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 have a policy where we allow any sort of amount of working from home, or people even live in cities way outside of Stockholm, so we couldn't really force them to, but I think a bit of social interaction is actually needed, and uh, yeah, it's a tricky one. It's a really tricky one. Yeah, on that, is there, obviously, it was your question, you said, are there any uh, things you do to encourage team members to participate in culture building activities or social activities? Is it like specific examples for any of you? Is there anything that you guys do in your teams actively to, to do that? 
I, I can give an example for our team uh, in recruitment. There's a girl called Abby on our team who loves making quizzes. And she makes a quiz for us every Friday. And we, because we work mostly in Sweden, we call it a quiz fika. So we have a coffee, uh, like a coffee to have a little break in the day. And we do a quiz. And we all absolutely love it. Is there anything like that that you guys do uh, in your teams? Yeah, so uh, I've seen teams do quizzes. Um, they generally come with prizes and are doable during the workday as well. Mm-hmm. Uh, so like uh, we had a member of our team... Um, I remember our team do an audio quiz, so everybody likes video games, generally speaking, in our industry. So there's a, you know, a quiz based on video game music. Here's 30 snippets of video game music tracks, and people could listen throughout them, through to them throughout the day, and, and you know, try and fill as many as they can. Um, but there's also, you know, there's sort of work-based ones as well. So uh, our UI team has a monthly meeting where they get together and they just play games together and just be silly and stuff like that. And then they also have another one where they get together and they do a show and tell. So for creative teams in particular, you know, show and tells are, are really useful ways to to drive people to get together and talk about talk about their work. But then that then drives discussions and social interaction within that. So there are purely social motivations that you can give to people, but you can also create, you know, work based reasons um, to to bring people together. Um, not necessarily in an office, but you know, to to put them in a situation where they. You're gonna you're gonna take a piece of your work now, and you're gonna show it to this person, and that's a requirement for your job. And you know that that will then inspire a set of interaction, and you know, being a bit of social. Nice, Matt. What about you? Yeah, we we, we have a bunch of programs in place. Um, we have we have regular studio events and activities, and we have like a social club that's like led by our you know one month, and it's people self organized where they get resources to try and you know to get rooms and things that we probably can give them to make it easier. Um, um, so those programs that we have a bunch of them, what I found is like a lot of them probably would have existed anyway, right? It's like though they get formed by like the D and D crew, they you know those they would have found they would, they would have found each other in 2017 too, and they would have had their own D and D crew going. Um, and so you get these things that 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 still those people in the margins still will tend to slip through because they wouldn't they wouldn't have gone to that either, and so they're not gonna they're not gonna go. Um, and so you, you don't you don't get that that cross pollination of like sitting on a dev floor, everyone's there, and like even the quiet person in the corner who's there all every day, and they are quiet. That's who they are. That's awesome. They still are present for all these things that are happening around them, and they get exposed to that. That's the stuff that I find I miss most. Like what I'm, what, I, we, we you know only have a couple of days a week in the office, and go in there, and when it happens to be really full. The amount of stuff that happens, like you can, you can like feel the sparks happening, this conversations, debates, people talking, sharing things, and in, in, in like casually while they're getting their their work done, that's a really different vibe than like a team's quiz. Um, and and I, and I think it's it we we sh, we sh, we have lost the value of that a little bit. Um, and I think it's hardly quantified. Nice good point, uh, Bjorn. Well. Yeah, no, I, I agree. Like, I I think there are multiple approaches, of course. And uh, one thing <clears throat> one thing that I've noticed is like the the general social happenings, like the the tabletop game players or the the guys that play Smash on on lunches, what what have you. They would have done that anyway. They are still doing it. They are generally the people who are in the office anyway because they enjoy that kind of interaction. But we have a few like things that I think brings people in that wouldn't regularly come in. Uh, we have 
things called lunch and learns where we like offer some food and we just have some lecture or workshop about something that could be really inspiring or interesting or it could be really useful or it's a bunch of different things usually hr are like driving those those are really they can bring in people that wouldn't otherwise come because they're like oh i get something from this and also they are they could definitely be joined digitally because we have like the hybrid setup everywhere but we have them purposefully not digital so they are always like on site only uh, so i think that's that's a good one also we have had some we have some reorganization stuff where like we've done the workshops for those also physically and those that has been good then you can like force people that even live a, a bit further away to come in and, and participate uh, also we have had like visits to do i mean we do a lot of horses so we go visit stables and um, hang out with the horses and like photograph references and stuff like that and that's also like super good to get people in and just do something uh, i brought all my team to a riding uh, session here close to where i live uh, and those several of them had had never met each other because that that was the first time uh, so I really, I, I think there are like key pieces to that puzzle, but it's hard to get, uh, the thing that you were talking about, Matt, about the, the sort of osmosis thing happening. I think that's the hardest because it's, that's not natural. It's not going to happen to the people who actively stay away from that. This is the last little thing. There's a shadow cast there, I think, to the, to our games, which is the amount of things that. Me personally, I can do little tasks that I can get done by just talking to people on the way to a meeting and the way back to the meeting, like at the water cooler, like in between emails, like a little knock on the, on the arm and say, hey, like we want to change this value in the spreadsheet. Oh yeah, boom, done, submitted. It happened 30, literally 30 seconds. And you multiply that by 100 a day times five days a week times, you know, 20 days a month and then off into the year. And then by every person who does that, those things in a in a online world, that task would get put into it, whatever your tool is. It would get prioritized. It'd probably be super low because it's such a small thing. And it, it just won't happen. And you add that up, like the, the bottom, the very bottom of those things, this won't happen anymore. Right? And we've tracked this because they're, 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 they'll never reach that level of like, they're going to get past that line that the, the, the data shows you on your, on your task list list. And that's the stuff that I think we we lose intrinsically. That was is hard to find, hard to call back. Yeah. Well, some really really good points. We're gonna um, we'll move it on to the last question, which will come from Sam. But Bjorn, thank you very much uh, for that question. It's a great question, and hopefully, um, a lot of good points for the listeners to take into account as well, and maybe some things to implement. But Sam, please, could you give us your question? So there's going to be some overlap actually with this is relevant to what we've just been talking about um, in the way that I approach this. So yeah, the advent of remote and hybrid work, which we've all been dealing with has, has caused the number of meetings uh, to absolutely balloon um, as people really try and seek to replace the natural collaboration, which happens in offices, which is exactly what you're just talking about there, Matt. Um, but we've, I'm sure you've found that meetings are time consuming and are slower and can often be emails. Um, so then although we're trying to chase what happens in an office and that organic sharing 
we need to not fill it with meetings. So I'm curious as to how you guys have tried to balance out the need to have that quick collaboration, um, but also and you know the need to build culture and things like that, but without just overloading things with with lots and lots of Zoom meetings. Um, considering the conversation that we were just having, I think it might be relevant for me to share the way I've done this first, and then you guys can sort of weigh on in it. So what I what I'm trying to seek to do is I'm trying to seek to recreate the open office environment in a virtual sense. So in an office, you can collect information and interact with people just by being there because everybody is talking and everybody's doing things around you and it takes nothing for you to turn around and see it or for you to just overhear something naturally. What I'm trying to create is spaces, open spaces within say teams. Um, or, or whatever chat surface you're, you're, you might be using, uh, where everybody from a, a specific team, it can't be everybody with the whole company, but everything, everyone within a specific team is within that and trying to create a culture of self-reporting. So at first it always seems a little bit weird, but it's sort of just saying like, I, I'm going to be doing this now, or like, hi, hey, I've just been looking at this bug and I feel like I'm done with it now. Oh, you know, I'm going to move on to this task, you know, or I've just finished this task where I had to make this asset. Here it is for everyone to look at. I'm going to move on to something else now. And what you're doing is you're building up uh, a virtual log of you know interactions and things that people are doing, which because it's in a public space, anybody can access at any time and just drop in and see that organic conversation and kick off a conversation or discussion from it. It's a difficult thing to do. It's a very big cultural shift, but in the places where I've managed to do it, it has been hugely helpful in bringing people who would normally sit in a corner remotely just doing their own thing and bringing them back into a space where everybody is constantly, you know, generating social traffic and generating conversations because they just do what they've been doing normally. They're just typing it into a chat window instead and it, it causes all these conversations to kick off and appear so yeah it's just trying to take the idea of well what did we used to do in the office what was good about that well it was the fact that everyone would just create information without even realizing it and trying to recreate that okay so here's a public open space with everyone in it and you're all going to populate this with information i don't want you guys to think of that that's what it's interesting i was I'm, I'm super so you see what that like looks like physically like you know practically we'll go what to use and stuff because we, we talked about the meeting Thing, right and like yes that's a big problem too many meetings and meetings that are inefficient and they, you know there's always things we put in these protocols and these best practices we put in place to like to make sure does this need to have to happen ask yourself the question make sure someone's taking notes there's action items make sure that it, like it, it you don't spend too much time like you know shooting the breeze and all that kind of stuff the funny part about that is the 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 casual pop in functionally is still a Teams meeting, <laughs> so it's like you know, like if I was gonna like call you out of, out of the blue, it's still gonna be you and me on screen talking, which is you know they might call somebody else and somebody else, and suddenly we're in a four person meeting, trying to replicate that organic thing that you're talking about. So this space that you're that you're that you're describing is is really interesting because that takes away the formality of a little bit, and this also has this is interesting studies. On the on like screen fatigue, right? Being on Teams is actually really mentally taxing because you're already you're always super cognizant of your micro movements in your face. It's a, it's it's you're processing two things at once, right? What people are how they react in their body language and your own because it's on there for your thing. So it actually tires you out faster than just being with a person. Um, and so it's like having a place where you're not spending that energy, right? But also still getting the interaction is is 
really interesting. I'm curious to see how that, how, how that works for you and, and, and learn more about it. Sam, do you want to come back in on it? Oh, go on, Bian, and then we'll come back to Yeah, Sam. can I just, uh, yeah, because I, I think one thing, obviously, I mean, the meeting uh, ballooning is, is real for everyone, but also what I've seen, because uh, we have, like, Slack channels, it feels like, for everything. Uh, so there are hundreds and hundreds of Slack channels, and some of them are doing kind of that like they are very specific. They are for a specific asset. They, you know, just share about things going on there. And I think those are the most successful, but those are also super hard to get to. Like if you need that information, that information is not, yeah, it's public and it's searchable, but it's so hard to find. So, um, but it's, it's no different, I guess, from the warrior cooler talk because that wasn't documented or, or searchable or findable for someone else either. So I, I guess it's not worse than that, but it's, it's, it's just a thing. Like I, I, I just recognize the fact that there are so many Slack channels and it's very hard. There's a fine line to hit between, or... you know, you can have one of the problems with having lots and lots of channels is one things that the point of having an open public space is that the information is accessible. So if you have too many open public spaces, absolutely, you might as well have not had the public space in the first place. The other problem that you have um, is potential duplication of information. So the first problem there is information siloing. So information only, you know, information and conversations only happen in certain places. And unless you go and look for it, it's siloed off in a corner. So that's problem number one that you have to hit. But then the other problem is duplication of information. Um, if you have too many channels or not enough channels, people will say it in multiple places. Um, so there is a, a fine balance to hit between having a, a public space, which is big enough that everyone can see what's going on but not so big that people are then afraid to talk in that space because that's everything that happens if you have a space with you know our art team is a hundred something people if i just have an art team chat junior artist who's been in the company for three months isn't sharing their art in there and trying to be social it's not going to happen they're going to be terrified so there's a balance to hit uh between um, yeah having enough but not having so many and then the openness is, is the the openness of it is the way that you try and combat the uh the uh, information siloing. There's another side to this as well, which is that within any of these spaces, your your line managers, your producers and things like that um, need to have an understanding of what you're trying to achieve and they need to be keeping an eye on, uh, you know, eye on certain conversations and sort of going, okay, look, here is an off-topic channel uh, where somebody started talking about something that is work-related. Somebody needs to be able to sort of be keeping an eye on this stuff and go, hey, you should go over there and talk about that in that channel because these people might have something interesting to say about it. So there's also a level of moderation into it. But then you're going to start to get into a problem of, well, that guy's got meetings to go to, he's got work to do, he's got a job to do, he can't spend all his time watching watching channels, which is where I see this as a cultural problem. The whole company needs to be together on this idea um, and pushing in the same direction. Um, and then the final thing that uh, sort of ties into this is there should always be safe spaces. There should always be, you know, I'm talking about trying to create, a, you know, all the team's channels are open and anyone can drop into them at any time. That's actually a nightmare. <laughs> you know, you, you if you're a UI artist working on a particular, you know, piece of concept work, you might want to share it with the people on your team or, or other UI artists, but you don't want to share it with, you know, your producer yet or, or with, with a coder. You want to have a safe space. So... You, yeah, there's a real fine balance. Not worked out what it, exactly it is yet. There's been a lot of discussions about it. But um, yeah, it's going to be 
it's going to be an interesting one to figure out. And I, I really do see it as a cultural problem. This, it tackles a lot of organizational issues, but really it, this is about trying to create a culture of recreating that office feel and that office organic sharing of information and creating an, a culture of self-reporting and, and sharing of things. Almost, almost like social media, right? You want people to, you know, remember when social media started and everyone would be taking pictures of their dinner and their cats and and sharing it constantly. You're trying to create a sharing environment like that again. Um, but yeah, it's a... From, um, from my perspective, do any of you, or a question I have, do any of you use like Slack huddles just in general, just to like be in, be in a huddle and not really speaking at all, just if anyone needed to chip in with anything. A bit like when Matt was saying earlier, you know, you're just walking through the office and or you might just pop your head in and ask a question or something. Something we've just started to sort of try out and implement on our team um, on Fridays when we all work from home. We all just sit in the our, our Slack huddle for the gaming team and, you know, if anyone has a quick question on something, they just ask it in there. No one has to have the cameras on or, or the mics on constantly, but you can just ask here if someone asks a question. And it's kind of working out quite well, to be honest, because it's almost as if you sat around everyone in the team, but you're also getting that productivity like, you can focus on your own a little bit as well. So I don't know if it's something that's that's been used by any of you before. Gombian. Yeah, we used it a bit when uh, we were doing deliveries for clients uh, in the VFX industry. So like, because then usually we had a couple of supervisors or three maybe, uh, and a few artists and producer, like <clears throat> just sitting, because you didn't have to do much, but at some point you might need to. and. Like it might be a snap decision, like, oh, should we send this? Should we delay this? Should we postpone or do some last minute changes before we send this out? Stuff like that. And that was usually very good because then as, as you said, like you just sit there with your headset on and, and wait, or like you do your work, but at some point someone might pop up a question and it needs to be answered quickly and not having to go through like booking a meeting. It was really nice, but uh, I, yeah, I haven't tried it here at, at the studio. It's one of them. It's new for us, and I think it's a case of just trying to stay on top of it. But it reminded me, like when Sam was saying earlier, and you know, people just writing a message saying what they were doing or what they've just done or something. It was kind of like that, but more like on on the huddle, so you're speaking rather than it just being a, a written message. Um, but it, yeah, it's been quite interesting to be fair. Yeah, using before, I thought we had issues uh, previous previous team with just awareness and like in having to manage your mic and like in like people not like not having to not meeting them and like getting into conversations at home and then be like oh so like (laughs) it's it's uh it it quickly got the bigger they were the the more unaware people they were so we we actually had made a threshold which was like conversation was is everyone learning how to use this and be aware all the time on this worth them being in it yeah, um, because it's a new, it's a new part back, back when I was talking about, about like the perception of yourself, the, the mental, the mental fatigue of like being on teams. It was like a different form of that, which is like now you know that you're always in this thing, and if your mic is on or it's off at the right time, you might say you, know, you might be muttering, muttering to yourself that you can like, <laughs> get yourself in hot water. Um, so we decided it wasn't it wasn't the best place for us. Mildly, I mean, this is the wrong word to put way to put mildly invasive. Right, like you're always. You're in a private space physically, but then this, your 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 computer is taking this information maybe from you. Yeah, <laughs> you yeah. are paying attention. Um, I so yeah, feel it's, like it's tricky. 
there, there's value in it for like things like what Bjorn was saying. Like, so, you know, if there's like an emergency, right? There, there is value in a set of, you know, people who are trying to organize their way and all through that emergency. There might be value in them huddling together and sitting for a period of time until it's worked out. But as an everyday thing, I think, yeah, I think it would start to feel invasive. It's an interesting idea as something to use occasionally, but but uh, not, a, not a long-term tool, I think. Because, yeah, there's, there's various little niggles and things which I think would, yeah, just start to eat away and, uh, and annoy people. It's, yeah. It's an interesting one. There's definitely value in it. But... We've done ad hoc huddles, like, for, again, big deadlines where it was a bunch of people that are simultaneously working on a task and they're all, they were like, okay, nine o'clock, we're going to all check in at the same time. And so we've had, you know, six or seven people at the same end. Just to your point, as long as you're aware you're in it and it's a finite amount of time and it's, and, it, and it's geared towards a specific thing, it was, it worked. But then after like, beyond that, okay, it's okay. too much. Like the old yeah, quick for... stand up, like how old oh, this is going to be a really difficult thing we've got to do. Let's all quickly have a stand up, get together and talk about it, and then make sure we're communicating while we work through the problem. Right? It's, it's kind of a replacement for that. Yeah, the the kind of task force style of, of working. It's like you do this particular thing, and it's really good to quickly be able to talk about everything that you need to talk about. But it becomes very focused, and uh, I think it's super good for that. We use it. I remember we used it a little bit for because we have like these play sessions where we play the game and and uh, then usually we have that kind of because not everyone is playing together everyone's just doing their own thing but but it's kind of nice to just you know hang out and, and talk about stuff and like oh have you seen this thing with this quest or whatever so I think it's pretty good but I I wouldn't want to have it like a daily thing like you you did it. Like you join this channel when you uh, sort of started working, and then you are in it <laughs> until the yeah, end yeah. day. It would be kind of exhausting in a way. Uh, no, no. To be fair, it's not like that. It's more of a case like you know, if you've got calls and things, you jump in and out. If you've got questions and stuff, but no, it's a, it's actually really useful. Uh, just information for myself, which I, I'm going to feed back to the team and uh, just see if we can try different uh, implement different strategies as well. But uh, yeah, I mean, that, that concludes everything. That's uh, the last question. So Sam, really appreciate it. Thank you. It's a great question. Um, and I'll take this opportunity as well to thank uh, to Sam, Bjorn and Matt for all asking questions and, and putting their input as well. So hopefully a lot of people have gained uh, some good ideas and, and thoughts from it. So thank you very much, guys. It's been a, another really good episode. If anybody else would like to join um, a future episode as well, please feel free to reach out to me on LinkedIn, but uh, we'll see you next time.